Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John, and I am joined all the way across the country. I tried to get R2-D2 in here to do a hologram, uh, but he was busy. So instead, I'm using the Skype machine, and I have joining the podcast, Trisha Barr. Hi, John. How you doing? I am doing great. So for those of you who are wondering why there was a Star Wars reference right off of the bat, it is because Trisha Barr is not only an immense Star Wars uh, self-proclaimed fangirl, but she also wrote a small book called The Visual Encyclopedia to the Star Wars Universe. It's, it's a small tome. <laughs> yeah. Just... And, and, and I, didn't, I didn't do it alone. So yeah, Adam Bray and Cole Horton were my co-authors and a lot of amazing editors and design people. But yeah, my name's on it somewhere. It is. Uh, it is on the inside. It is not on the outside, which for a very specific reason, which we will get to uh, in a bit. So before we delve into the wonderful world of Star Wars, I wanted to kind of give people uh, an introduction as to who you are, how you got into this maddening world of Star Wars, especially maddening when you have to write with help. Uh, a visual encyclopedia for Star Wars. But before that, uh, you are an author and you came out with your first full length uh, novel called Wind, correct? I wrote my own uh, self published novel, Wind. It won an award for best sci fi fantasy in the Independent Publishers Award. So it was uh, a, a thing of love that I did. I had the story in my head, I had to tell it. I know that sometimes authors, they just got to get it, just pen to paper and get it out there. Was this something that you had for a while and just, it took a while to kind of get to print? I, you know, every author has their own kind of method to their madness. And my method to my madness is to write from start to finish. I don't write out of order. I outline to some degree, but as Essentially, I have an idea of where I'm going. I know kind of the beats of, I know I write enough concrete that I kind of know the beats of the hero's journey enough. So I know kind of where I need to go with the characters and then I just let it roll. So it was about two years. This is not a small book. It is one of those books that's kind of like Game of Thrones size. And wow. <laughs> yeah, or you know, one of the bigger Harry Potter. So you got to kind of love reading. That's who I'm writing for. And okay. you have to, you have to love science fiction fantasy, I think. But you know, then again, my dad doesn't read any of it. And he read it and loved it. So, well, there you go. And with that, I mean, because you and I both obviously love sci-fi and fantasy. And there are kind of those novels that we might like, but we can only recommend to a certain group of people because we know that they will actually read them and appreciate them. And another group of people looks at the book, sees how thick it is, and is just like, yeah, I will get to that when we know they're not going to get to that. <laughs> yes. So what would you say is your prime demographic for this novel in particular for Wind? The prime demographic are people that love mythic stories and stories about families and relationships and just about learning about, you know, finding out who you are. So that's why I wrote it for. I don't think the story is, you know, sometimes sci-fi can be uh, 
and accessible. Mm-hmm. And I, I read a lot of different stuff. So I felt like the, you know, occasionally you'll get in some jargon, but that's hardly gets in the way. There's, you know, a father daughter story. There's a father, uh, you know, it's mother in there. There's relationships as she's starting to learn how to work and be part of a military and, Definitely if you like anything like NASCAR or Formula One racing, uh, what how the story unfolds, this kind of air racing is what mm. is exciting for people. So if you like that kind of stuff, I grew up on Top Gun, definitely oh. an inspiration there. Awesome. So yeah, if you like that kind of stuff. And a lot of people said it reminded them of the Avengers a, a bit. And okay. I didn't I didn't write it specifically with that. But knowing that Joss Whedon did the Avengers and did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is very influential on me as a storyteller, I could see where people could kind of go. It's for me, the Scooby gang from Buffy for some people, (laughs) they might, the natural iteration is these people who are becoming superheroes like the Avengers. So same type of thing. Okay. Well, and speaking of Top Gun references, so of course you have Viper in Top Gun and the main character uh, in your book is named Vespa. Was that any yes. correlation also? Did you kind of pull from that? That's actually a nod to James Bond. Oh, uh, okay. Not, I was wondering about Ves- that too. Yeah. It's Vespa. Vespa is her name and her last name is Wind. Uh, that's, that's a nod to if you like Avatar, you know, Legend of Korra stuff as well. Mm-hmm. The, the wind really implies kind of where her super, supernatural power lies. And so, but the Vespa, it, I don't spend a lot of time graphing things out or outlining, but I spent a lot of time on the names of the characters. And Vespa was a long journey to get the name just straight. To have it, you need to sound your heroine's name to sound just so. Sort of like Luke Skywalker, you know? It just comes off your tongue. <laughs> right. You know, like that little known character, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> little known. Excellent. So you have said before in in some of your other uh, podcast that you do because you're also a fellow podcaster with fangirls going rogue so you have said on that show that the main thing that kind of draws you in are the character motivations and storytelling those are the things that you look for what were some of your inspirations with those in mind when you went to write wind well, I was a big fan of the expanded universe, which would be the pre-Disney sale mm-hmm. stories that are now considered legends. We have to call them something different now, but to me, they will always be the expanded universe. So mm-hmm. I was a big fan of those books. I love the stories about Jason and Jaina Solo, who were mm-hmm. the children of Han and Leia, and just all that kind of iteration. So that's where I started writing fan fiction and that's where I learned how to write. And I remember sitting at a author, Star Wars author talk and then saying, well, you need to put in about a million words before you really know what you're doing. And I, I looked at my accounts and realized I had somewhere like a million and a half words of fan fiction. And I'd won a lot of awards for characterization and uh, canon portrayals that they say, which is for fan fiction fans. That's kind of saying you're keeping true to what you think the spirit of a character is in the, in the movie. So I, I felt like I had the right things to do you know everything in stories 
especially Star Wars is about choices. So you just put characters in a situation and see what choices they make. And ultimately you have to hope that they're believable. You know, the, I talk a lot about character agency. You know, do characters do something because the plot dictates they should, or do they do something because they're just doing it because that's what they would do. And sometimes as an author, you know, things that the audience doesn't know. And later on you might say, well, that's believable. So right. you know, that's kind of the fun part for me is making that work. Wow. So that is kind of how you shaped your character. So when you were doing fan fiction, obviously that seems like it was a passion project for a long time before, you know, wind, when did you first kind of get that, that bug where you wanted to create your own stories within the context of universes that already existed? Well, I wrote stories from as long as I can remember from a kid. So I saw Star Wars. I don't call it a new hope. I'd call it Star Wars. Of course. But that was in 1977. And I was eight. I cosplayed Leia for Halloween. And I always had stories in my head. There were movies I saw and I would go home and think about the characters and imagine them. And I read and read and read. And then I'd read stories and not just Star Wars and those characters would go on adventures in my head. So when I discovered fan fiction, sometime between the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. I discovered online fandom. I'm like, oh, people write this stuff down. Well, I should do that. And I didn't just rate. I just went straight for a novel. I didn't <laughs> try short stories. I just wrote a novel. And looking back on it, you make all sorts of mistakes. But that's the only way you can do them. And anything you do, you have to try and then Mm -hmm. figure out where you're going right or wrong. So I just kind of rolled into it. But I had always been telling stories in my head. It just was a matter of figuring out the art form, you know, point of view, Mm -hmm. structure, stuff like that. That's the Okay, so first of all, huge props for even having the idea to be like, you know what, I like these things as opposed to writing a few pages here and there. Nah, let me just break into a novel the first time around. <laughs> well, I don't know how much you know about the fan fiction community, but there's what there's a lot of people are driven to fan fiction in order to fix or correct something that mm-hmm. they think yes. isn't happening right. And uh, a lot of the fan fiction that you see inspired in my, the era I started was trying to fix and course correct things that we thought were starting to kind of go awry in the expanded universe, particularly for me, the new Jedi order, when I learned more about structure and where it went awry, where my brain started trying to fix it naturally was at the end of destiny's way, which is where they essentially took Jaina on a heroine's journey and then they ended it. So there was what another 10 books to go and Jaina just became a prop and not part of the story. And they just kept going on with Jason. And then, so essentially my brain was, doing the right thing. I understood instinctively that they had sort of dropped the story and weren't going to finish it. So mm-hmm. that's where my fan fiction picked up. I, my brain was trying to figure out, well, wait a minute, what happened? They took on a heroic cycle and then it just stopped. It just, she just became a character and not a heroic character that was driving the story. So it was a natural instinct that I've learned over the years now I write for the stars insider about the hero's journey that my brain was just picking up on something it already knew from reading so many books and watching so many movies and just kind of absorbing them. Excellent. And you just mentioned one of your other 
many hats that you wear, uh, which is you do some writing for StarWarsInsider.com, right? Yes, you like how I did that, huh? Yeah, the, the real smooth. It was like you were a podcaster <laughs> and you knew how to slide those things in there. <laughs> so yeah, Star Wars. It's one of my one of my loves is to take some time and look at different things. And a lot of times I have to wait because you don't necessarily get the go to talk about a character right away, mm -hmm. and so you just get to go back and. I started with interviews, interviewing expanded universe authors, which kind of comes back to how I got into writing Star Wars books at all. So if we, when we get there eventually, but I ended up writing a little bit for Random House, uh, writing about Star Wars specifically for their blog, which now has been renamed. It used to be Savudu back in the day. Hmm. I think it's Rolls like off Unbound, the yeah, Unbound Worlds or something like that now. But I that that became a chance to interview Aaron Alston, who is no longer with us, who was one of my beloved uh, Star Wars authors. Hmm. And I remember getting the email because the editor at, at Del Rey sent me an email. I was riding my horse and I usually don't carry my phone. I usually don't check emails. But for some reason I did. I almost fell off my horse, <laughs> who's named after an expanding universe character as well. And OK, you cannot say ones. that and then not say what the name is. His name is Ganner. So Ganner. if you've read the book, Ganner Rizzo is the is the Jedi who in the new Jedi Order goes and makes the stand against the Yuuzhan Vong and says none shall pass so that Jason Solo can escape. It's It's been rated one of the most iconic scenes in Star Wars, even for, you know, for a book even. It's wow. just a really, he, yeah, he stands and says none shall pass and he he's kind of a, a Jedi who's, you know, he's a little too into himself, uh, not maybe so into Jedi, and he's good looking, and he finds himself in the middle of this whole random story about Jason, he figures out how to be a Jedi, and that ends up being in self-sacrifice. So that's where Ganner came from. And But, you know, so ultimately I went and wrote these, you know, did these interviews, then I got to write some articles, and then it was just like I wrote some Hero's Journey stuff. We had been covering it on the blog. We write, we're mm -hmm. one of the really most well-read for education sites on the Hero's Journey, if you're mm -hmm. interested in that. Specifically, we were talking about the heroine's journey and how that might be shaped a little differently, or if it is at all. And so, you know, I try to go in there and make people, challenge people to think beyond Joseph Campbell. There are some ways that Joseph Campbell limits our storytelling, especially for women, and to try to make people look at the way a female character might be considered differently or might be considered the same. Uh, and that's what Insider lets me do, so it's fun. Nice. And it just gives you an additional creative outlet, it sounds like, to get your feelers out there into all of these different pots and do the things that you like to do around your passion. Yes. Excellent. So going into our Star Wars discussions, which granted have already been happening this whole time, uh, <laughs> but because I mean, that was going to happen no matter what. Yes. And you already kind of answered this question, but it is May 1925. Wow. Let me just start that over again. I'm not going to edit that out, but I'm going to start over again. <laughs> it is May 25th, 1977, and Star Wars is in theaters. Where are you? I am a child of an Army officer, and we are at the Army base in line with my grandparents, who I don't think it was 
probably May 25th, but it was around that, you know, it was early on in the process. There was a line and unlike now where you have multiple showings, you just waited in line. You might be four lines out, right? You mm -hmm. might have to wait for four screenings. We didn't wait that long, but we waited for a long time in the sun, summertime, and we got to see it. And my, we waited long enough that grandma was asleep before the movie rolled and grandpa <laughs> was asleep somewhere around the, the Star Destroyer sucking in the Tantive Four. So okay. there you go. Yeah, but I was, obviously, I cosplayed Leia for Halloween, so mm -hmm. I was definitely drawn up into the story. It got to me right away. It sounds like you are obviously a voracious writer from a young age did the reading was it also that same level going into the movie did you already have thoughts of the hero cycle and things that you were looking for in kind of the media that you wanted to consume at that age i i don't know i you know i remember being kind of interested in science fiction fantasy so it was a good time at that point to be into that I I look back at it and I understand kind of the history of America at that point and why it would work for everybody but I wasn't quite old enough to perceive why we really needed heroes journeys again why people needed something positive and that type of, of inspiration but as a kid for some reason kids just latch on to Star Wars I mean there's droids and spaceships and mm -hmm. I mean just every, Luke it, People nowadays are like, oh, Luke was whiny. Luke was just like us. He, you right. know, he was just like us. He was a kid. Yeah, we whined. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I liked him. I loved Han Solo. I obviously loved Princess Leia because we didn't see a lot of those type of characters. I got to write a retrospective for Carrie Fisher and just remembering that she was so impactful because for a young woman, you didn't see – I mean – Han Solo deferred to her. Luke Skywalker deferred mm -hmm. to her. She was in charge, and that that was a big deal. Now, when the other ones were coming out, these days, you can see trailers. You can read all about a movie months, sometimes years, before it comes out. Once you started hearing whispers of more Star Wars movies, were you over the moon? Like, Can you even describe what you were feeling at that time? So I was younger. It was still, you know, preteen when Empire Strikes Back came out, but I were just coming to my teen years. But it, you know, was one of those things where it ended and people can't under fathom that, right? That you're going to wait a few years <laughs> mm -hmm. for to know what happened to Han Solo. So I was in high school and my best friend, Diana, she was also this like huge Star Wars net. We were kind of crazy. We loved horses. We loved dance team. We loved Star Wars. And people think that spoilers are just a thing now. And they're, it's not true. We had, mm. we were total spoiler hunters. I mean, the difference was you had to get it mailed or faxed. <laughs> right. So I did, I did, I knew that I did back in the day. I had friends. We knew that, that Han Solo wasn't dead. Like we had oh, discovered wow. that. We had learned so yeah i was a big kind of spoiler hound back then but you had to just do it a different way mm -hmm. you know there was just diff different ways to do it and you really wanted to have to know because you you couldn't just email somebody you had to find somebody you had to go it wasn't you know you had to find somebody else who knew somebody else who knew somebody else so the spoiler community was much smaller but and it wasn't like they felt like they had to guard stuff because nobody there weren't enough people that were going to find out 
Right, the Star Wars fan club back then with the official patch or pin or whatever it was had maybe hundreds and not tens of thousands or millions of people that it does exactly, now. Exactly. Now, were you part of the the official Star Wars fan club back then? I, you know, <laughs> I might, might be showing my age, but no, I don't remember. I don't think so. I I had toys and I had mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I had friends who were into it, but I don't specifically remember being part of the of that official you know, part of fandom. I didn't know that you had to be official maybe is more <laughs> right. appropriate. And some of that was just being an army brat and moving around so much that you just, you made different connections. So you might not be in that same kind of group that would know to do that. So yeah, I just, I did it wasn't something I know the whole history of it and the fan club was actually run by a woman. So really know, that's when, yeah. When people say, Oh, you know, women are, weren't Star Wars fans. I'm like, Oh, pshaw, you silly people. It's not true. <laughs> there were actually uh, letters in the fanzines that were asking where all the male fans were in Star Wars early on. Really? In the process. Yeah. Because the, the, there was the fanzines were run mostly by women. The fan club was run by a woman and there were a lot of women who had jumped ship from Star Trek mm. because of some disappointment and jumped and really latched on to Star Wars. And I've uncovered that in some of my, I've done some oral histories and a little bit of writing for Star Wars Insider where I talked about, have interviewed people and really looked into kind of the culture that existed back then. What? Yeah, that is fascinating. That was something that I did not know about. I just, I've seen a lot of the paraphernalia from those earlier Star Wars fan club uh, items, but no, the, the actual history of it, that it was run by a woman is pretty amazing because even to this day, it still is something that people, for whatever reason, like to think that girls are not into this and they're just like, are you serious? Like, have you not <laughs> been to, been, well, not even been to a convention, been anywhere <laughs> People just need to walk around Disney parks and look at how many women have Star Wars shirts on and you you figure it out. Disney's figured it out. I knew once Disney came on board, we were going to be okay. I I knew that that Disney crunches numbers and they Mm -hmm. were going to figure out very quickly where the money was. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I think I I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they've made some good decisions since the acquisition. Just going to, you know, throw that out there. (laughs) I think they made some profitable decisions, you could say. Yeah, you know, it, it, some people say that it was a really brave, crazy choice to put make a female lead to make the story about Ray. But I feel like, one, Disney already knew there was that people that female leads were bankable. They had already, I mean, that's a lot of their business model. But you had to be able to tell a different story, and you almost had to go that way to cha- to tell the different story. Because otherwise, what are you doing? You're you're going to end up with another Luke Skywalker, essentially. So they needed to kind of push it a different way and make... I mean, people were still until the day of the movie. Like, that Finn guy's going to be the Jedi. Yeah, he's holding the lightsaber, but no. that's I, <laughs> I knew what was going to happen just because you just... You could tell by the way Ray was dressed from the opening moment, the mm-hmm. first shot we ever saw of her. But, you know, there were people who in their minds just couldn't go there. So they were shocked. I, yeah, maybe it is just myself and how I grew up. I just cannot even put myself in the mindset of somebody being like, what? How shocking. <laughs> but, I mean, it it's, it happens, I guess. Uh, and you actually have come up here to Seattle uh, to Geek Girl Con. 
a couple times, yes. right? Yes, one of the best conventions ever. So yeah, if you're up in that area, definitely go to it. Excellent. Are you planning on coming back for the 2017 version? Yes, I do. I will go to GeekroCon as long as I, my schedule allows and as long as it's happening. So I went to, I think, the second one. I was terrified. I was intimidated. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, it's hard to be, uh, especially just, I don't know, it's very hard to be a female fan and then go someplace and not sure, like, if you're not going to be, I don't know. what it, At the time, I thought, well, I'm not feminist enough or I'm not I'm mm. not educated on different things enough and that's not the way the convention is it's like so open arms to everybody and my first experience I remember I think it was the Wonder Woman panel my girlfriend had her kid there and her kids got uh, his Buzz Lightyear toy and it's you know she's banging it around and mm -hmm. it made noise and the one I remember a guy turned around and kind of looked at the kid and the other lady who wasn't with us she leaned over she goes just get used to it this is geek girl con like you're gonna <laughs> bring your kids you're gonna have, have fun mm -hmm. the kids may interrupt the panel but that's the way it's gonna be so it, it and it's just got grown so much and yeah I think what they're bringing to it and the content the more people you have coming and it's just fun I mean the the exhibition floor was amazing this year this past year see and that is ridiculous is that you were there i was there covering it and our paths did not cross yeah well it's getting big too so next time we'll have to make that happen then yeah we will definitely do that uh and speaking of you know crossing paths i know that up until recently you yourself one of the authors of the book the by DK, Star Wars, the Visual Encyclopedia. You had not received it yet. Have you received your copy yet? <laughs> I received my copy, but not because I'm an author, but because I'm a blogger and it came, I'm on wow. the blogger list. <laughs> it's kind of, a, you know, I learned that usually the author's the last to know anything, but yes, I did receive a copy. It was really exciting because you only see your sheets usually unless by accident you I remember one time I got this they they send you the PDF of each spread to just check and I mm -hmm. got one and I was like man I must have been like this must have been so long ago because I don't remember writing this and I'm reading <laughs> it I'm going, it's really good but I don't remember writing this and then I went look through my notes I'm like yeah because I didn't write this wow <laughs> <laughs> but you know so usually the only spreads you saw were yours unless there was you know an accidental crossing of paths or if you had a question or maybe they might be, well, you know, Cole's already covered that or Adam kind of has something similar. Let's make sure we don't double it up. So, but usually you didn't see. So the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is so awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you received it uh, because I find that quite ridiculous that the author, one of the authors of the book had not received her own copy, the author copy. I mean, yes, blogging cool you got one but come on dk or whoever we'll whoever we'll made that decision they'll give them to us uh you, yeah i remember because some of the the bloggers got them way before i did as a blogger and i was like wait 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 how do you have this book like what how did you get this but i know how it you know it, i actually know how it happens because they get their first little box in and you know that's got to go to to people and they start down their list so it's fine and i'll get my author copies and i'll probably by the end of the book tour want to be not seeing any more of the inside <laughs> covers of the book <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome because when 
definitely shout out to Julia O'Halloran uh, and Kristen Fisher from DK who had reached out to me because uh, I had worked with them previously on one of their other massive books, the DC Encyclopedia and the oh, Marvel yeah. books, which is incredible. When she sent me an email and she was like, hey, do you want a copy of this and maybe interview somebody? And I was like, uh, can I hit yes any faster? Like, what is wrong? <laughs> like, at this point, if they are listening to this, which I hope they are, just do not even send me an email asking if I want one of your books, DK. Just send it to me because they are all incredible. <laughs> yeah, the, the Marvel one, all of them, they're, they're, they do a really good job. They work really hard. We get to go into their office. Cole and Adam and I went for Celebration London. We went for pie to meet mm-hmm. the staff and talk about the book before we even started working on it. So that was kind of fun to kind of see where the magic happened. But there's a lot of people who looked at a lot of images and did a lot of hard work to get this book as pretty as it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, with all of these books, I mean, they just you can tell just from the front cover. I mean, these are not you know, your regular style book, like they have just embossed covers. I mean, they look incredible. And then the work that goes to put in to fix with or to affix with your words, the images that they have to do is massive. Like how long were you involved in that process? So, so August of last year was when we first sat down and then they're already starting to put the images together. Mostly we get a spread with images and then we have to check and make sure the image is the right name. Mm. Or you might make some suggestions. You know, at that point we were seeing, you know, stuff coming from Rogue One. So if you might have a melee weapon, like I did the melee weapons, I'm like, you know, there's a really cool one that, uh, you know, is cheer it has. So I'd like mm. to see mm-hmm. that one in there. So, you know, sometimes or you might just have a better suggestion. I think also like binoculars. You might see, say, well, that image not even in the movie. So is it okay <laughs> if we use that image? Like, you know, it's fine if they choose to, but you just have to make, you're checking spelling, you're checking mm-hmm. images, maybe you can find, sometimes, like I remember one of my things is just to see more of the lady character. So under pilots, mm-hmm. I remember suggesting the captain of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan ship that brings them into Naboo when they come in there. I can't remember her name now. But yes, part of our job is looking things up too. <laughs> Wow. So, so, you know, just stuff like that. So, and then you wrote for about three, four months, uh, you know, you get a spread or you might get two spreads and then you have to go to work looking at it and sending it. So it's kind of a cycle, right? You're getting in a spread, you're turning in that, mm-hmm. the writing for it and you go on to the next one. It felt like writing a term paper for about three <laughs> months. So you're studying, I mean, you're studying that hard, you're reading mm-hmm. and trying to make it all work. I mean, and one of the things that that has to help in that process is that this is something that you have been passionate about for pretty much your entire life. Yeah, it it does help. It's Ultimate Star Wars certainly helped too writing that book mm-hmm. because I have you can bring a lot of that kind of knowledge. You start to know where to look for things. You start to know where you, know, you have to make sure that you're bringing stuff from the new continuity right. and know when things might be not, you know, might be something what you ultimately don't want to do is have to make Lucasfilm look at it and say, no, 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 no. You're trying to write something that they can look at and go, yes, they've 
covered the bases. Yes, they they know where the line is. They they're not trying to create any new continuity or bring anything in. So and you have to you have to do your research. So you mm-hmm. need to sometimes go back to the movies. I put the movies in if I had a question, and nice. or I would go to different resources. You know, you just you have to spend the time with it, and you have to look at it with a different set of eyes because what you remember from Star Wars is not always what is in Star Wars. Uh, and that could be uh, our fault, the viewers having the nostalgia filter, or it could be the choices of certain people involved in the films that may or may not have changed things. Yep. You know, just you know, not going to name any names, of course, <laughs> but it rhymes with Ukis. Uh <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, huh? no idea. Uh, so what was it like when you first started to work professionally in this world? Like, have you been able to meet some of those Disney people and Star Wars people? And what was that experience like going from fan to now professional? You know, <laughs> It's not anything I ever dreamed I was would be doing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm very blessed. I'm probably part of that's because I try to do a really good job when I do something. Right. So, you know, the book really books really put you in a different kind of zone, which I love literature and a lot of stuff. But then, you know, through Rebels and the podcast, I've got to meet different people too. So, you know, it's it's all I'm always you know in two different sides of of this coin, I've kind of attacked it from two different angles and certainly not in one zone. Even, you know, when I go to celebration, that'll be April 13th or 16th, I'll be there one representing the book, but also I'm still in there as a fan Mm -hmm. reaching, you know, reaching out, reading Star Wars, reading what it's giving us, you know, going and looking and seeing what they have. You know, I got to go to Skywalker Ranch last oh, December. So jealous. To cover Rogue One. <laughs> so, you know, there, you know, every time I think I'm going to, you know, there's not going to be something cooler or something cooler happens. So I'm, <laughs> right. I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I'm, I, I'm hitting a high bar and maybe nothing cooler will happen, but you know, I just keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, trying and succeeding. So props for that. Have you, yeah. have you seen the, the infamous, uh, possibly mythological Lucas binder? that has all of his secrets from 1975 to now. <laughs> I've seen pictures of it when they talked about the Clone Wars. You know, I was really into the Clone Wars and watching all the material and knowing that they had those, you know, groups of people sitting, Dave Filoni and everybody in the room, and he'd mm-hmm. open that binder. So I've seen the binder that way, where how a lot of us have. But no, from a distance. <laughs> from a distance. I don't think they'd let anybody into that. I mean, obviously, probably Dave Filoni has like uh, photographic memory and knows everything in it that he needs to. But it's kind of a cool. Hopefully, someday that'll be in a museum. Maybe in his museum. You know that they they're going to open in L.A. Oh, I hope so. We'll get to see it someday because it's an important part of storytelling. Absolutely. And for those of us, or for those of us, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about because we are doing deep cuts Star Wars references, uh, there is this infamous binder that George Lucas has been writing in since the early 70s about his ideas of uh, Luke Skykiller and all of these ideas that eventually some of them started making their way into film. But there are so many things in this binder that, again, have become the things 
of legend and myth because nobody is allowed to see it. What would be the greatest fake out in history is at some point <laughs> Lucas goes to open it and there are like six pages of notes and then the rest is just random filler that he made it to look really big. I know that the, the Mortis arc and the Clone Wars came out of that binder. So, you know, it was his ideas about the Force. So I'm sure there's so many cool things in there. Yeah. So here is a hypothetical question for you. If you could go back to whenever he started writing it or whenever it was around and you could sneak in and write in one idea, knowing that he was going to read it and potentially use it from the very beginning, what would that be and why? Oh, gosh. I, I don't think George would pay attention to... <laughs> okay, say, say that you could write it in his handwriting and he did it in some sort of fever dream. Okay, so in, in my fever dream, the note would be, whatever you do, make sure that Padme's story ends somewhere where people can believe that one, too. That would hmm. be my note. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Padme's story is the one that he started with a bang because he had a lot of time to work on the Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. And then he just, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't take it to where it was, it could be as believable as Anakin Skywalker. So it just kind of was like, well, I need this to happen to her because <laughs> that'll make it believable for Anakin. As opposed to all these characters having these beautiful you know, opposing arcs and things that happen. You know, the will to live. I, actually, I would have wrote that. Never have a droid say somebody's lost the will to live. Uh, Just don't do that. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that would be my note. And in, in, in that droid's purely medical <laughs> opinion, she has yeah. lost the will to live. It's the one line. It's the one line that when I get to, I'm like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> okay. So at some point... Maybe you will be able to, maybe all of us will be able to see the binder, but my feeling is you are going to get to see it before any of us muggles who are not connected to the Star Wars universe like you are. I think we see it, we'll all see it together. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I would love that. And you said earlier that when you have done work with Rebels, you know, the, the current cartoon uh, series or CGI series, and interviewed people with that. So I actually am way, way behind on my Star Wars TV shows. Uh, the Gendy Tartofsky Clone Wars stuff was incredible. I started watching a little bit of the Clone Wars, but with Rebels, all I hear is that it is phenomenal. Is that what would you say in your opinion? <laughs> I, you know, they have certainly done some amazing things. I think that the storytelling in Rebels is stronger than what they've done in the film. And I think wow. they've done some strong things in the film. But if you were going to look at it from a storyteller perspective on what they're doing with the characters, how they're thinking about the characters from their legacies, from Darth Maul to Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker to Leia to just how the these characters, the Rebels, are going to fit into the lore. You know, they've done things that I wished Rogue One would have done with the season finale. You're like, man, look at all that diversity in the background. <laughs> That's what I wanted from Rogue One. And 
not just the diversity in the characters that are going to die, but diversity in the characters that <laughs> right. we're going to that we're going to be lasting and going on. And they they're doing this in Rebels, so it's not just a it's not just a storytelling thing. The storytelling is strong. The characters are strong. And I've had more, as we call them, fangle feels, you know, those mm-hmm. moments where Absolutely. you feel emotional, where you, you know, are crying, you just feel like they've captured something in your heart in Rebels than I have anywhere else. And I would definitely recommend the Clone Wars. I wrote most of the Clone Wars stuff for Ultimate Star Wars, so I am way more familiar with the series right. than maybe uh, people would like to. But, you know, seasons three, seasons five, the Lost uh, missions mm-hmm. that and came out after they put the kibosh on the show. And then, you know, definitely Rebels has, you know, Dave Loney is a master. People are going to call him a genius. I think he's always been a genius. That's why George Lucas hired him. But right. he, he he's able to kind of instinctively know what needs to be done and with a story and make it Star Wars. Fantastic. Now, with the animated show being successful, like you said, it just ended its fourth season uh, with Rebels. What do you think the future holds with the animated show's versus the live action do you think there will be a time when they start to coalesce or will they always kind of be two separate things one of which is kind of behind the other one well i think the films are going to always be the vanguard right they're going to lead the way and show stuff but they're certainly starting to weave stuff in we saw saw guerrero from rogue one appear Mm -hmm. in rebels right after rogue one and he was from the clone wars when it's so a favorite character of mine and his kind of backstory we're gonna see more of mon mothma in the upcoming season four and i think we're gonna see more characters that maybe we'll touch on that people would like to see i you know this is just my instinct on how they do things they're definitely always driving to make that connection so between the two they're definitely not they're intended to make your relationship with all the other things work but you don't need to know them right you don't need to know more about it but for me like i would have wanted more mom Mothma in rogue one and i mm-hmm. got it in rebels thank you thank you thank you so oh nice you know, those okay. type of things yeah yeah because that you actually talked about that on one of your recent episodes of fangirls going rogue that mon mothma is playing or you know was playing a really big part in rebels and that was good to see because there are so many characters, as I'm sure you are very aware, in this universe, both the expanded or legends. And now, what are some characters outside of Mon Mothma that you kind of wish could get a little bit more of a spotlight? Ooh. Well, I'd like to see more about Sabine from Rebels. So she's the Mando. Okay. Uh, kind of engineer tinker, which makes, I like her because I'm an engineer that may, and she's artistic. So I like, that makes me have a special affinity for her. And I would love to see more about Poe in BB-8. Okay. <laughs> the Force Awakens. So, I, you know, Poe was supposed to die originally. So thank really? God he didn't. Because, yeah, he, w- he was, they, Oscar Isaac was originally said, you're going to be this character, you're going to die. And he's like, I really don't want to die. <laughs> so they kind of went back to him and said, okay, well, we'll let him live, which actually worked out because I don't know how they would have carried the rest of the film mm-hmm. without, oh, kind of being our connection to it. Uh, you know, maybe that was going to be Snap or Greg Gunberg's character or something that, you know, ended up the X-Wing pilot. But it, it worked with Poe. I mean, Oscar Isaac just has that kind of charm 
it makes it work. But I would love to see more about Poe. And obviously I'd love to see more about rain, any form. I'd, so, um, I, so, you know, they could do anything right now. I would love to see more Padme too. And the handmaidens I have this hmm. total pitch in my mind that Obi-Wan takes a jaunt and he hooks up with, uh, not hooks up, romantically but right. hooks up with Sabe and Dorme who's played by Kira Knightley and Rose Byrne who are two box office stars too and I could just see them in a movie with Ewan McGregor in some type of adventure as they were trying to thwart something horrible happening before Luke Skywalker got old enough to save us all from Darth Vader interesting so. <laughs> there you go I just pitched again you hey, you, you are the writer I was like <laughs> I just listened to ideas and be like Sure, sounds good. I will read it, but you are the writer, so go for it. Well, I'm glad to hear that, that Rebels is doing well, that the animated stuff is doing well, because I'm sure you remember this. Uh, I have only seen clips of it. Uh, droids, the old cartoon from back in the day. Yep. So kind of glad that we are past that generation of animation, and now we're on to animation that is truly advancing the story in positive ways that you know can coalesce can work with the live action can work the greater universe but like you said you do not have to watch four seasons of rebels to go into the next movie yes i think they'll learn too you know that disney's going to give them a little bit of their insight into how to do shows that you know you animate shows can't be as long because because the kids grow out of them. So you have to bring start a new hero's adventure, a new way for a different generation of kids. You know, every four or five years, they got to restart. And it so it's not going to be like Rebels all the time. We're going to see different types of stories. Excellent. Uh, and then going back to the book, because, you know, we probably should talk about that, not just geek yeah. out about Star Wars <laughs> the whole time. So the Star Wars, the visual encyclopedia, uh, it is in stores uh, now, by the time this airs, so definitely go out and pick it up. What I found interesting, and the way you phrased this was also really interesting, is that this book, going back to what we were saying, how your name and the other author's names are not on the cover, because this book is viewed as an in-universe guide. So if you were on Hoth or something like that, and you were like, you know, I've been hearing about this Luke Skywalker guy. Does anybody have any information on him? this would kind of be the book that exists within the world of Star Wars that then you could look up and see about him. Yep. So how does, right. how does that change your writing style knowing that you have to make it take place in the quote-unquote real world? Well, you know, me being the writer that I am and knowing that point of view, I'm like asking, you know, are what, where are we? Are we like? Like, are we right at The Force Awakens? Like, where mm. do we exist in time? It's a kid's book, so they don't quite they don't quite take that hard to look at it because otherwise you're writing about some things that really need to be in the past past. So, right. it, you know, it's very fluid. It's a little bit more fluid. But I remember being a kid and sitting at my grandparents' floor and reading the encyclopedias. So, <laughs> you know, that's how I learned about, like, things like World War II and different mm -hmm. stuff. I sat on their floor and read the encyclopedia. That also gives it some room to be wrong if something were to ever change, right? Okay. Because yeah. you, you could, you know, it's just supposed to be written by some people writing about the universe. And obviously we know that there are things that we thought that are givens that aren't given. So 
it, it gives us some wiggle room. I, I think in universe is the smartest way to go. I've been an advocate of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. When I was writing specifically about the expanding universes, you know, there were nonfiction books and a lot of the nonfiction end up kind of dictating the storytelling instead of the other way around. So I like books that don't bind you up because the biggest out is, okay, it's in a galaxy far, far away and somebody wrote this and perhaps they're wrong. But obviously when we're doing it, we're trying to be right all the time. And we're, so we're reflecting somebody's point of view of the galaxy, right? Hmm. That's how, and that's how you'll see most of the books framed in the nonfiction side is they're going to have some perspective that's, a person's perspective that you know may not be the correct perspective but it's a perspective that is valid it just like an encyclopedia would be valid an encyclopedia tries its best to be correct but it's mm-hmm. going to learn things you know we learn things about the brain we learn things about gender we learn things right. about cancer and so you know that's kind of the way it is so this is a source of knowledge but it's you it it's so cool when you open it up and you look at it and see animals and food yeah. and architecture and stuff like that. Just different things that you don't think about that went into building this world, all these little details. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it is very Tolkien in that sense, where the way it is broken down, where it will have pilots, it will have wardrobe, it will have all of that, like truly creating. In Tolkien, I mean, it was, it was mainly one world that then we spiraled into other things with star wars this is a universe and so creating all those things and laying out the encyclopedia the way that it is i thought was really unique and and different that it would be broken down in various chunks like that works for me (laughs) it seems to have and then uh yeah just kind of wrap things up you have another project that i wanted to uh, talk about which is called priority transmission yeah, that's part of Fangirls Going Rogue. So we just, when we get something that's really important, which, let's see, by the time this airs, you probably won't, there will be another priority transmission. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the the format of our show is an, well, intended to be a once a month show. And we were part of a bigger network. And then we got an opportunity to kind of, we had, we were very limited on what we could talk about with that network. So it ended up being, we got this chance to, we can, when we want to talk about things, not just on a monthly episode, we mm-hmm. could break out and get some breaking news or whatever. So that's what priority transmissions are to just kind of go into things that are really uh, uh, in the moment. So mm-hmm. Angle's going rogue and cover that. So Excellent. Uh, and then where can people find all of your adventures and various projects that you are connected with? The easiest way to find me is if you want to go to trishabar.com. That's my author website. And then also fangirlblog.com is my rating website. And, you know, my Twitter scrolls on there at fangirl cantina, any type of like we have the book tour coming up. We'll be going all the way across the country for all the way up through star Wars day. And, you know, we'll be on the West coast. We'll be on the East coast. We'll be in the middle of the country. We'll be everywhere. So, you know, look for that kind of stuff, but, I'm always accessible. I love to all those places have ways to contact me and kind of figure out what we're going on. And then the podcast, you can just type fangirls going rogue into pretty much any type of 
podcast network and you it'll come up and you get can listen to us itunes you know google play all those different types of formats stitcher you know can't even think of them all now <laughs> yeah there, there are a bunch people always ask me they're like oh what platforms are you on and i start listing them and i'm like uh pod bay and this and this and this so there, there are a few yeah and then if you're re if you're into podcasts and you like storytelling a little bit of speculation and some kind of more deeper thought into star wars i have hyperspace theories which mm -hmm. comes out on fangirl blog and we kind of go into deep dive into storytelling we'll break down kind of what the like we looked at ryan johnson who's directing episode eight we talked about lawrence kasdan we'll talk about specific things and how they're going to influence the star wars storytelling maybe disney we'll look at and then we'll you know talk about some of the news that's come out so if you like that kind of i mean that's really deep in the weeds it's a very specific <laughs> niche but you know we'll go we we recently did a breakdown of all the stuff that came out after rogue one kind of how are they uh, how did the story get made? How did it happen? And really looked at what how they talked about different things. And, you know, we looked at the structure of the story, which is fun. Fantastic. And this is, I mean, and what I have listened to of your podcast, I mean, both you and Teresa and Sarah, I mean, your passion for Star Wars, and not just your passion, but your understanding, because all of you guys have such great insight into this world, because all of your diehard fans, but it comes through with research and knowledge and not just, oh my God, look at this thing, which are also great. And I listen to some of those podcasts also, <laughs> but the way that you guys talk about it, yeah, you just, it bleeds with just passion and yeah. And I really appreciate that okay. you guys are Thank out you. there and doing that. We try to stay informed, but it's good to, I like, we're all from different kind of perspectives, mindsets, mm -hmm. Teresa's are Sith and you know, Sarah's into the music. So we all bring something that we're knowledgeable about and we can kind of blend it all and show that different, you don't have to be like totally like-minded. You can agree to disagree and still mm -hmm. like Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. As every geek listening to this and beyond has had many, many arguments throughout our lives over yes. things. Yes. Uh, and then last last kind of question, and I would be remiss if I did not ask this. So do you know what is going to happen next? Being that you are in the know and you kind of wrote for this encyclopedia, tell me what happens next. In Star Wars? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. We, none of us know. We'll all be as surprised as everybody else, I think. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the, obviously a trailer for the last Jedi here coming up soon. And then we can start speculating again. I'm in, I'm literally in the state, the same box as everybody else. There's, you know, we're, there is a very tight group of people that know what's happening in that mm -hmm. movie. And it's, it's certainly not the authors unless you're working on something really specific. And even then you only get to know what you need to know. So that's, gotcha. that's how they keep it tight and keep it secure. So I'll I'll be enjoying the ride like everybody else. <laughs> well, good. I just I, I had to ask just in case. Oh, I you know. understand. <laughs> well, thank you, Trisha, for joining me on on this Star Wars uh, extravaganza. Uh, the book that we have been talking about. We talked about two books: uh, Wind, which you can pick up from your website, right? Yeah, and that's W Y N D E. Yes, that's how you spell it. Yep. Yeah, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then, of course, we have been talking about Star Wars, the visual encyclopedia, 
which is in stores right now. It is from DK, and just like with anything DK does, it is incredible. I mean, it truly gives you a breadth of knowledge while reading this and holding this. So you can go into the next Star Wars and whatever else truly informed. So check that out. You can get it on DK's website. It is on Amazon. I will also put show notes or put a link in the show notes for all of that. So from from one podcaster to another, Trisha, again, thank you. Thank you. And for this podcast, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at About to Review. You can stream the episodes on iTunes and Stitcher and all of the other places that you can find podcasts like Trisha and I talked about. Uh, You can also go to abouttoreview.com and stream it there with full show notes. So for this episode, I have been your host, that guy named John. And again, I've been joined by Trisha Barr. I will put all of her contact in the bottom of the show notes and you can get a hold of her and ask her anything because she knows everything. (laughs) So for that, we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media. <laughs>